Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Ashish, hello. Good to see you again. It's been uh, it's been a month. Wayne, it's great to be back, and I'm sorry it has been a month, but I'm glad we get to reconnect. So a lot has happened in that month, and let's get right into it. In some states, infections, hospitalizations, and deaths are on the rise, and in the case of Texas and Florida, dramatically so. So can you give us your overall assessment of the pandemic in America today at the start of the month of August? Yeah, absolutely, Wayne. And I, I would say that about a month ago, I think it became clear this is where we were heading. Um, we've got an incredibly contagious uh, variant, the Delta variant, now spreading throughout the whole nation. Uh, infection numbers are going up pretty much in every state in the country. But in states that have low vaccination numbers and not a lot of public health restrictions, those numbers are exploding. And so we see that in Louisiana and, and Missouri and, and uh Arkansas, but we also see it in a couple of the big states you mentioned. Texas numbers are rising quickly. Florida is just in terrible shape. More infections and hospitalizations right now than they have had at any point in the pandemic. And what's tragic about that is we have something that can stop it, right, which is vaccines. And so when this happened a year ago, we thought, boy, this is really painful and we have to put in all these painful measures to stop this. We don't have to put in painful measures anymore. Now it's if we got enough people vaccinated, if we don't vaccinate, then we may have to use some painful measures in the short run. But I do want to make other, one other point. This is such a contagious variant that even highly vaccinated states like Massachusetts and Rhode Island are not immune. Um, we need more people vaccinated even in these places if we're really going to use vaccines as our strategy to stop the spread of this virus. So that really... Uh pretty much answers the next question I had, but let me just go over it quickly. Uh, last week, an internal CDC document was obtained by the Washington Post, and it uh, declared the Delta variant to be as contagious as chickenpox, which is to say more highly transmissible than Ebola, the common cold, seasonal flu, and other viruses. In other words, more contagious than we originally thought, and we originally thought it was contagious. W what does that mean for us? I mean, obviously, get vaccinated is one thing it really means. Yeah, I think what it means for us is that um, this infection, this virus, this variant is going to uh, spare no one. And if you are unvaccinated, you are almost surely going to encounter this virus up close and personal. And all of us will. 
all of us will. But if I, but for those of us who are vaccinated, we're, we're going to encounter it as a vaccinated person and most likely will not get infected. And if we do, we'll not get sick. Uh, but if you encounter it as an unvaccinated person, you have a very high likelihood of getting infected. So I'm very worried that a lot of people are going to get infected in the, in the couple of months ahead. And I'm talking about a lot, like the modeling suggests as many as 35 million Americans may get infected over the next couple of months, next few months. That is an astronomically large number. Uh, and most of them are going to be unvaccinated people. And many of them are, are going to end up being quite sick. Wow. That's a terrible number. I mean, it's just, just horrible. Are you seeing any uptick in vaccinations in some of the states that have had lower rates, given what is happening with this raging Delta variant? It, I am. You know, analysis I did a couple of weeks ago looking at which states are seeing the biggest increases. And sure enough, it was Louisiana and Arkansas and Missouri, places that are having large outbreaks. And I think it stands to reason because, you know, you can hear a lot of misinformation about how it's not a big deal and it's just like the common cold. But when you have your family and friends and people you love getting sick, getting hospitalized, dying, that misinformation doesn't hold up. And all of a sudden, people are coming to realize that vaccines are the way out of this. So we are seeing an uptick, obviously not as much as I would like. I'd love to see everybody in those states rush out and get vaccinated right away. Uh, good news is we have plenty of vaccines for everybody uh, and they're free. Um, but I do think that we are seeing that uptick and my suspicion is it's going to continue for the weeks ahead. Some parts of the country and indeed the world are seeing record numbers of infections, hospitalizations, and even some deaths of children and young people. Why is this happening and what can be done? Yeah, it's a really good question um, about what's going on with kids. So, uh, you know, the kid thing, Wayne, is, is frustrating because um, there are two sets of issues going on. First, as you know, we had a whole year of minimizing the infection of kids, saying, ah, kids don't get sick. It's no big deal. Kids don't, thankfully, get very sick, but some of them do. And we want to be careful with kids. And um, the big question people are asking me right now is, is the Delta variant particularly bad for kids? That Do kids get sicker with the Delta variant than they did with Alpha or the the version from last year? The short answer is I don't know. Like we honestly don't know. I, I've been, we've been scouring the data. We don't have good data on this. Uh, so then people point to the fact that a lot of kids are getting hospitalized and in, in ICUs and say, how do you explain that? And the answer is because a lot of places are having very large infection numbers. And so if you have a massive surge, kids are not immune, they're gonna get infected. And most of them will do very well, but a small number will end up getting sick and hospitalized and in the ICU. And is that worse than it would have been if we saw similar infections with alpha or the other variants? I don't know. So it's an honest, I don't know. And of course, what that means is until we sort it out, we should continue to doing what we can to protect kids. So this question comes from one of our editors um, and it's a good question. And I think it speaks to the variation in the Delta variant around the world. Um, and here's the question. What do you make of the data in the UK where they had a big Delta case surge with no surges, no surge in deaths? And now cases are falling again, despite the fact that nearly all restrictions have been abandoned. And yeah. that, that seems to be an anomaly. Uh, but anyway, tell us about that. What, what, what does that mean? Yeah, two, two things. So uh, um, gentle disagreement on no surge in deaths. Uh, definitely the death numbers were much, much better than they would have been had people not been vaccinated. 
UK is even better vaccinated than we are, uh, quite a bit better now. Um, but despite that, they definitely saw a, a pretty big uptick in deaths, but nothing like what you would have expected if this was pre-vaccination times, right? Because the most vulnerable people are vaccinated. So that's why you get a little bit of a split between cases and deaths. The big question that everybody's asking is why did it turn around? About two months after it started rising, why did we see UK turn around? And the short answer is we don't know. And I wanna give you some major theories. One theory from friends in the UK is that as hospitalizations really started rising and deaths started rising, even though there were no policy restrictions, people started changing their behavior. We see this, that we see people stop going out to packed restaurants. We see people having smaller gatherings. So there's a behavior change, even if there is not a policy change. That's possible. I don't know that I feel like that explains all of it. There's another group that says that we've seen this with Delta, that after about two months of big surges, Delta turn, tends to kind of peter out, that enough people get infected in a region that you don't keep going. I don't know that I've got clear evidence on that either. Obviously, I hope that's true because we're a month into our surge, and I'd love it if another month from now it all peaks and starts coming down. So I, I would say we don't totally understand the UK data. Um, I'm hopeful that it means that maybe we will see our surge peak and turn soon. Um, we're gonna keep our fingers crossed, but we also have to be careful and try to protect people until that happens. This seems to be another example of science. While science knows many things and can do many things, this virus and probably other viruses as well, there are still unknowns. I mean, you, you, you just never reach, I guess, an absolute, we know 100% about everything of the behavior of this virus. Is that correct? And part of it is it's a novel virus, right? So it's a new virus. We've never dealt with it before. Second is the virus is evolving. I know a lot about the version that was around last summer. <laughs> um, this version is pretty different. And so the virus keeps evolving. Now we keep keeping up with it. We learn new things. I think we will understand it better over time. Um, but this is the reality of fighting a pandemic in real time. And I think that one of the most important things that we in public health and science community can do is be very honest about what we don't know. The number of people who have very strong theories about what's going on in the UK, I always say to people, if you have someone who can tell you exactly how this pandemic is going to play out over the next six months or a year, don't listen to them. Because none of us know for sure. We, we know a lot. There are things we can be pretty confident of, but there are a lot of things we can't be confident of because the virus... Uh, continues to evolve and change. Can you explain what breakthrough infections are? We've hit on this before, but yep. I will say that I am so confused and we're getting a lot of questions from people. What are they and sure. what, just what are they and, and what, what do they done? mean? Yeah, yeah. What do they mean? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So breakthrough infection is the idea that if you're fully vaccinated, you still get infected and you, and you get symptomatic. Um, now, we call it a breakthrough because the idea is you're vaccinated, you shouldn't have the infection. But if you look at the clinical trials, they, these vaccines are about 90, 95% effective. And by the way, um, we think with the Delta variant, which is a little bit more contagious or a lot more contagious, we think the effectiveness of these vaccines may be more like 75 to 85%. Still really good at preventing uh, symptomatic illness. But the way I think about it is... If you have tens of thousands of infections happening in unvaccinated people and about half the country is vaccinated, don't be surprised if you have a few thousand infections happening every day in, in fully vaccinated people because 
No one said these vaccines are 100%. They're 80 or 90%. Sounds like a lot. It is. But you're still going to have breakthrough infections. Most breakthrough infections are mild, right? You have a cough. You have a bit of a runny nose. But I will be honest with you. There are people I know who've had really miserable breakthrough infections. Three days of fever to 104 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, in bed for five, seven days, uh, two weeks to recover. Those are the more extreme cases. Um, but th that does happen. Very, very rarely a breakthrough infection is so bad, somebody ends up in the hospital or even ends up dying. But those are extremely rare. So what has happened is that vaccines have turned these, this virus into something that for most people means no infection. Some people, they will get an infection, but most of those people will do very, very well. That's what a breakthrough infection is. Not to be trivialized, but not to be feared either. What about booster shots? We've talked about this before, and, and we're hearing anecdotally that there are some people who've gotten two doses of Pfizer and Moderna, or one of J&J, &J, and are going places that maybe don't keep careful records to get a third shot in the case of Pfizer and Moderna, or to get a, a, to get a Pfizer and Moderna second shot if they took J&J. &J. Are, are you hearing this, and, and is, this, is this good? or Yeah. What's your take on it? This is complicated. And I'll give you the right answer, kind of the official answer, and I'll give you how I think about it. The official answer is nobody should be getting a booster until the FDA makes a determination. And, and I do believe that, by the way. But here's what's happening, uh, Wayne. And I think we have to live in the reality-based world. The reality-based world is there are a lot of smart people out there who are looking at the fact that Israel's giving boosters to everybody over 60. Germany is now giving boosters to people over 60. The UK is starting to give some boosters. And we have data from Israel that, especially for frail elders, but for some other people, after six months, the immunity begins to wane. And they're saying, you know, if you're a healthcare worker, so I have friends who are physicians and nurses who got vaccinated in January, who are now six, seven months out and say, you know, I'm seeing, I have to go take care of COVID patients every day still. I'm on the front lines and I want my immunity to not be waning. And so then the question is, what do they do? Some of them are going surreptitiously into a CVS because they often got vaccinated in the hospital and acting like this is their first shot and then not showing up for their second shot. This is a mess. It's a mess because it totally ruins our record keeping, right? Who then knows how many people have gotten vaccinated, who's gotten two shots, who's gotten three shots. It's very complicated. Second is it's ad hoc. This is not being based on science. It's people making determinations on their own. And third is it's hugely inequitable because high information people with a lot of social capital are going to feel very comfortable doing this. The poor person who lives in a nursing home, they're not going to go get their booster on their own. So I feel like FDA is sitting on this data. They should make a determination. They should make it public. They should help people. They should guide people. And they've got to make this push this forward. Otherwise, you're going to have, you know, hundreds of millions of Americans winging it on their own. And that never turns out well. Those are all good points. And you're right, it is a mess. And um, at this point in time, or, you know, this date early in July, in August, rather, I don't think there's an immediate solution to it. Uh, so let's go to an audience question. Uh, and this comes from a doctor in Pennsylvania who writes in the July 1st episode, Dr. Jha said there was no evidence of asymptomatic immunized people spreading COVID. Is there any further data on this and can pre-symptomatic immunized people spread COVID? 
It is a great question. At that point, there was no evidence. And I would argue that even right now, we don't have clear evidence. So let me be very explicit and clear about what we know and what we don't know. If one question is, can vaccinated people spread the virus? The answer is yes, they can. We've seen it. But all the cases that I'm aware of have happened while the, while the vaccinated person was symptomatic. What does that mean? It means that they were coughing, they had a fever when they were spreading. And that's important because if you have a fever and a cough, you can isolate yourself. The big question is, what if you are vaccinated and you feel well? You're totally fine. Can you be infected and spreading? We just don't know. Most of the data suggests no, but I hope you hear enough uncertainty in my voice to be very clear that I honestly don't know. I don't think a vaccinated, asymptomatic, pre-symptomatic person can spread, but we are certainly not sure about that. And we have to be careful about making proclamations when we're not sure. I think this is a good point to, again, say that uh, I appreciate, we appreciate, and the audience appreciates your honesty in dealing with this. You're not winging it. You're giving what you know. And if you don't know, you're, you're not giving it. So thanks for that. Absolutely. One more question. Um, and this has come up repeatedly in my personal life. You've probably encountered it, too. We're hearing it from readers, from audience members, and Events are moving so rapidly as they have really throughout the pandemic, but we're hearing from people about confusion, about vaccines, vaccine mandates, about mask wearing, some back to school rules, back to work rules. This is all varied, depends on where you live and who you are and what you do. Here's the question. Where should people turn to for guidance to cut through what is confusing for many people? And I'll admit Parts of it are confusing for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's a really good question. And I think this is, a, this is where, a place where CDC has gotten much better uh, over the last six months. Um, I, I think the CDC website on guidance remains probably the single best source of information. And that's where I would go. Um, one of the things that I recommend to people is if there's a very specific issue uh, you can also cross-check some of those ideas with specialty societies. So, for instance, I'll tell you what I mean by that. Don't go pick randomly like some guy who's got a website that he's running on <laughs> covidadvice.com. And there are a lot uh, of them, by the way. There are a lot of those. And by the way, if you go to the bottom of the page, there's usually like some elixir or tonic that he's selling you for beating COVID. And yeah, I would you, not buy any of those. Yeah, it's, it's snake oil. Plus, you've given your credit card number away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but one of the things I will do and I do recommend is, so for instance, if there is a question about vaccines or immunology, go to the CDC website. But then also consider going to the Infectious Disease Society of America. That's the infectious disease doctors. It's a specialty society of the best infectious disease doctors in the country. And they put together their guidelines. They usually match pretty closely with the CDC, but not always. And it's worth taking a look. If you're wondering about kids, go to the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, right? Because these are the pediatricians of our country and the leadership. And the reason why these societies tend to be very good is if they get something wrong, they are held accountable to their members. Their members will call and yell and scream at them and say, hey, you're getting the signs wrong and they fix it. So AAP is great. Do I always agree with the AAP? No, sometimes I gently disagree, but always out of respect and they do a really terrific job. So I, you know, what I say is start with CDC, but then there are these groups of physicians and nurses 
who have expertise in that area who are really quite good and you can turn to them for kind of a second opinion as it were. Thank you, Ashish. Uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Good to talk to you again after a month and take care. I look forward to more conversations, Wayne. Thanks so much for having me back. Thank you.